Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. The thing that I've learned about November is that, or, or Thanksgiving rather, being at the end of this month, it just often gets overlooked, right? We pause for one day. Our kids get out of school for the whole week and we're like, well, I'll take Thursday off, right? We pause for a day and, and then we get right back at it. But even the stores just neglect Thanksgiving. They just overlook it. They go from Halloween straight to Christmas, right? Unless you're Hobby Lobby and then you just set up for Christmas in July, and uh, you just roll with it. I remember one time being in Hobby Lobby and it was the middle of summer. And like the year before they set up Christmas in September and I was like, all right, we can roll with September, that's fine. The next year I was a little bit annoyed. I was like, I was with Lauren, which is a common thing we would do. We walk through Hobby Lobby so she can look at the Christmas stuff pretty much at any time of the year now. But uh, so we stop in and it's like July. And I remember taking a picture. It was just like this annoyed face of like, can we give Thanksgiving a chance? Can we give it a chance? It's a decent holiday, all right? It is a good day, and it reminds us to stop and be thankful. And so this month, as we walk through our series of being thankful, we're going to talk through different things we can be thankful for and different things that the Bible encourages uh, encourages us to actually be thankful for. So as we walk through this over these next few weeks, we're going to talk through a few things and, and take a look at some different areas of being thankful. See, it's easy for us to, to be caught up in this world of materialism, right? Where we constantly are, are, are never stopping to be thankful for what we have, but only be focused on what we don't have and what we're striving to gain, right? We see that all the time. When people are wanting to, to move to a better house, to a better neighborhood, maybe around here, all of us, the end goal is Highland Park. We're going, man, we're going to make it to Highland Park. We're going to be neighbors with Jerry, right? And I don't know if anybody of us really wants to be neighbors of Jerry Jones, but uh, especially if you're a Cowboys fan, you're like, you're the one person I dislike the most in the organization. We love Jerry, right? And so, you know, maybe our goal is, is Preston Road and we want to live right down the street from, from, from Jerry Jones. I don't know what it is, but, but we are never satisfied, right, with where we are in life. It happens all the time. And some of it's for good purpose and good reasons. We want to give the best to our children. We want our kids to have the best they can have that we can offer to them, right? And so there are good intentions in some of our longing to give more and our longings for more and for greater things. But what we find is that it's, it's oftentimes a lack of contentment. And, and we struggle with being satisfied and being comfortable with where we are. So it pushes us and motivates us to do better and to do greater things. Now, some of that, like I said, is a good thing. There are some good in hard work. There's a lot of good in, in, in being organized and diligent and working in strong leadership. There are good things in that. But there's an issue when our peace and our happiness is rooted in what we have in, in our contentment in the level of, of where we are in life. And when we begin to place our, our peace and our happiness on possessions, things, and you know, in our, our place and our, our position and where we are in life, that is where we end up having an issue and a problem. This morning, I want to talk about being content. I want to talk about thankfulness and contentment. John Wesley, who is, is known now, we know him as the founding father of the Methodist church. He's a great man of God. And John Wesley did a lot of incredible things. But when he was 21 years old, he started attending Oxford University. And now he came from a Christian home and, and was, was fairly comfortable with how he lived. And, and because of that, was a little bit snobbish and, and sarcastic and a little bit arrogant in how he spoke and dealt with people as this 21-year-old kid coming to seminary. 
And there's a story that talks about where he was meeting with this porter, this young, this young individual or this, this poor individual who only had one coat, who had a very, very humble living establishment that he lived in. He didn't even have a bed. And he meets him and he finds that this man is full of joy and thankfulness to the Lord. And so out of sarcasm and a hint of arrogance, John Wesley asked him, well, what else are you thankful for? But without slowing down or allowing that to eat at the man, he responds. He says, I'm thankful for the life God has given me. I am thankful for my being present so that I can return joy and honor back to the Lord so that I can worship him. And it was a hard swallow for John Wesley in the moment to go, whoops, I've missed it. And now we see John Wesley, you fast forward and you see he learned contentment over the years, right? He learned to be a man of God. He learned to follow and and follow where the Lord is leading him, ultimately starting the Methodist church, which tells me this, that, that being content is something we can all learn. It's something that we can all develop. It's something that we can all uh, begin to experience in our own lives. In fact, I, I think the words of Paul, um, add to this idea. We get to actually continue today in Philippians chapter four. So this is like the coolest segue from one series to the next. As we finished Philippians last week, we actually get to hover and stay in Philippians four this week and start the next series. So we'll be in Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 13 today. And it says this in in verse 10, it says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The big thought today, the big idea that I want to push is this contentment comes from Christ in us, not by the circumstances around us. Contentment comes from Christ in us, not by the circumstances around us. When we begin to allow our circumstances to detect, to de- man alive, determine is the word I'm trying to say, and it just wasn't coming. It was just way out there. But when we allow our circumstances to determine our level of contentment, we have it backwards. We have it wrong. We've missed. There's a couple of things that I want to pull from this passage today that as we walk through it and begin to learn some things about contentment. The first thing is this, God's providence. God's providence. And and, and you may go, I don't see where you're pulling providence from this passage. We'll get there. But in our world of science and research, we're often trying to figure out and understand fully how the natural works, right? People are always doing studies on, 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 on the universe and different things that are at play and different motions and things and forces at play as far as weather patterns, uh, you know, earthquakes and natural phenomenons. We try to figure these things out. And in that, we have started to research away the providence of God. We don't hear about the providence of God very much in this world anymore, right? The idea of God is a kind of a sore and touchy subject outside of the walls of the church. And people are going, uh, don't mention God to me because, you know, we're scared to bring it up because what if they have differing opinions and this turns into this huge debate and struggle. But what we have found is through our research and our science and understanding, now those things are good. I'm not saying that understanding the way the natural works is bad. Hear me. What we've done though is we've removed the idea of the providence of God. And now scripture tells us that God is at play. His providence is at play within the natural. 
But a lot of times we go, this, the natural is this big functioning moving machine. In fact, it's so big and so, so vast that God wouldn't dare to interfere with how he has things in motion already. So he has stepped back. But I would disagree. And I would say that scripture tells us a lot about the providence of God. So let's first of all, understand providence. The word providence is an English word that we get from the Latin. And the Latin being the word pro, meaning before, and video, meaning seen, right? To see, which is where we get the word video from. It's, it's a Latin word for, for visual to see, right? So, so the word providence means to see beforehand, to see it before it happens. So God's understanding and wisdom is, is from his providence, right? The providential understanding of who God is so that he doesn't just understand the end result and the outcome that will be, he sees it before it even happens. We follow in that? We, we track him that? See, God is in both Kairos and Kronos time. So the chronological, our, our daytime, and then, then Kronos, where we step outside of that time, he sees the whole timeline. Uh, so we have the Kairos, which is that ability to see long into the future and long into the past and be outside of it. So God operates in both the chronological and, and, and the Kairos time. And so that is his providence, understanding that. And so uh, I would say this, that we could take the story of Moses parting the Red Sea as this incredible weather phenomenon, right? Where Moses steps up in front of the Red Sea and the, the Bible says he holds up his hands and his step and then a strong wind comes and holds back the water, right? And the, seas are, the sea is parted and they walk across on dry land. Now we could look at that and we could go, man, this is one of two options. And I think both are, 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 are valid ideas. One, we could say that Moses stepped up, he puts up his hands and God in his in instantaneous miracle in that moment, God then parts the waters through a strong wind. Or we could say that God set it up in this way and this still doesn't remove his providence from this. In fact, I think it speaks greater to his providence that maybe God and in his infinite wisdom had already started the weather patterns long before they reached the Red Sea. Maybe God had put the weather in motion so that it took one simple act of faith from Moses to raise his hands that God then allows the weather patterns he had already set in motion to come and blow through and allow it to be parted. See, here's what we find. And how does this connect then to the passage that we're at today? Because man, if that was all you were going to hear, you'd be like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right? So you have to know kind of the backstory a little bit about where Paul's at. So you see him say that, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So here's the backstory. Paul being this great church planner all over the world, spending time in in different places in different countries and planting churches everywhere, was going to his churches that he had planted and was asking them to help support the persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. So if you look at the persecuted Christians in Jerusalem, here they are, they have now denounced their faith. They have said, we are no longer a part of the Hebrew faith, the national faith, the the family faith. We are denouncing that we are accepting Jesus. So here's what happens in that culture during this time, especially is that now they are shunned, which means their business, uh, their family, everything that they are, they are disconnected. So now they are basically black marked and say like, we're putting an X on you. You are not the place that we are going to go shop anymore. We're not gonna trust you to help us with anything anymore. And they say, you're pushed aside. So here they are, a very persecuted body of believers together. They have no means of of supporting anything, right? So Paul is going to all of these churches and you can read about it in Acts of of the issues that they are facing and throughout different writings of Paul's and different books of Paul's where he's saying either, hey, please help 
with a gift or thank you for your gift. Thank you for being able to help them or I understand why you weren't able to give at this time, right? And so here's what happens is the Philippians have been giving and giving and giving to the persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. That was their cause that they were supporting outside of themselves, right? This is, this is their mission support back into supporting the Christians in the persecuted world. And so because of that, they've never been able to stop and show their concern for Paul because they've been giving and giving and giving to the need of the Christians in the persecuted world. So here we now find the need has been met. So they've given all that they need to give. The need has been met for the the, the persecuted Christians in Jerusalem. And now they stop and they go, hey, that need is met. Let's take a moment. Let's take up an offering and let's help Paul. Here's where the providence of God comes in. Paul during this time is traveling around doing all of these things, has no need for their offering and their support because Paul also was a tent maker. So he had income outside of, the, outside of his work in, at the church. So he would make tents, he would sell tents, that kind of thing. So that was how he supported his ministry. And so here we find Paul now is in chains. He is on house arrest. He doesn't have the ability to go and make these tents. He doesn't have any ability to be able to support himself financially. He doesn't have any ability to go out and, and do things because he is bound to his home. He can't go make money. He can't go do the shopping. He can't do all of these things that we take for granted in our freedom, right? And so Paul is saying, hey, listen, this is where we are. Uh, You know, I I, I don't have this. He doesn't go and ask them for this, but they stop and say, here's where Paul is. He is need. Let's take up an offering and let's give. So now we come all the way back full circle. He's rejoicing in the Lord because of their longing to give to him. Now their their concern has been renewed. They've had the ability now to show their, their concern for Paul by this gift. In God's providence, they weren't able to give the gift that they had been wanting to give to Paul because of other needs needing to be met. And now that Paul is in need, they have the opportunity and the providence of God reveals itself in that they are able to give in the exact moment in which Paul is needing the gift. Here's what I've learned about the providence of God. It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always make sense. A lot of times God does things and you just go, Why? And we scratch our head and we wonder. And we have to trust in, 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 in that, that the, the working of God is, is for the good of those who, are call, who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? We have to trust that, that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We have to trust in that. And here's where we find Paul in this moment of going, wow, in my moment of need, now you are able to give. And without me asking, God God instills it in your heart, puts it in your heart, and you give and you meet my need. That's the providence of God. One of the greatest illustrations of the providence of God would have to be the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph in in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis, right? And Joseph was this, this child who was the favorite child, and it was known, and it was pretty bad and pretty obvious. And so in that sense, don't be like Joseph's parents. It's not a good idea. They gave him this beautiful coat of many colors. He's the favorite child, and his brothers begin to hate him. So then Joseph comes and he has this dream. Hey, you guys, one day, essentially, we'll just boil it down. We'll do the fast-forward motion, you know, the fast-forward version. Otherwise, this story would take all of our time today. One day, all of you are going to bow to me. Isn't that great? No brother ever wants to hear the other brother say, one day you're going to bow to me. Isn't that great? So this happens a couple of times, and they go, this is ridiculous. So they get together, the brothers do, and say, let's get rid of this guy. Their plan is to kill him, but then they see an opportunity to turn a profit, so they sell him in, into slavery, and then they go, hey, here you go. Um, 
He's gone. They come back. Mom and dad, he's dead. <laughs> right? Play it up real big. Have this little service. And they're like, all right, we're done with that guy, right? <laughs> done. Providence of God. Joseph probably, you know, Joseph, he was like, why? Why are you doing this to me? This doesn't matter. Why is this happening? So then, you know, he's in slavery. And so then he goes, and in that, he gets thrown into prison because of nothing other than his integrity. Again, why? God, I maintain my integrity. I told this woman no, and now you find, I find myself in prison because I upheld my integrity. So while in prison, somebody comes to him and is like, hey, I had this dream. What does it mean? And he was like, oh, <laughs> you're going to die. And the other person's like, I had this dream. What does it mean? You're going to be free. Like, and sure enough, both of them come true. And he says, when, when you go, remember me. Don't forget about me when you're in your, in your freedom, right? When you, please don't forget about me, right? Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can figure it out. And then the guy finally goes, oh, yeah, I shouldn't forget about that guy, right? That's kind of how it goes. So he remembers him and he tells like, hey, Pharaoh, you need to hear this guy. He can probably interpret this dream. And so Joseph comes, he interprets the dream and says, hey, you're gonna have six good years. You're gonna have six bad years. You need to plan for those things. Long story short, he does. He listens, he makes them second in command and they plan and they prepare. And so then this famine hits and his brothers show back up. And what do they do? They bow before him. The providence of God. The providence of God. That goes beyond our realm of thinking and understanding. I think Joseph makes some of the greatest statements. In Genesis 45 and 5, it says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Which is, man, what a forgiving heart. That's a whole other story for another time. This is after he's gone and weeped around the corner. Um, You know, he's probably dealing with some of those emotions. He says, Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. He just cuts right to the end of it. You sold me and I'm here. Like, does this make sense? Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then he says in Genesis chapter 50, he said, you intended to harm me. Think about that. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, we don't understand the providence of God. We don't understand his timing. It doesn't make sense. Paul was probably going, man, I'm about to go into prison. How am I going to, how are my needs going to be met? How am I going to be taken care of? And, and all these things, the next thing you know, this gift shows up from the Philippians and he's like, oh, I rejoice in the Lord. Understanding, the first part of understanding contentment and being thankful and contentment is realizing and recognizing the providence of God. If we can understand that God, yes, is in fact in control and have peace with that, That goes a long ways in setting our heart up towards being content for where we are. Thankful and contentment, man, this is, it's not an easy thing. It is not an easy thing. Our thankfulness starts with an understanding of God's providence. It's a difficult one sometimes, because again, like I said, we don't understand God's providence. We don't understand his ways. We don't understand his thinking. They are higher than ours. He sees the whole picture. He sees the end result. And we just trust in the fact that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes that's harder to do than we think. The second thing that I want to pull from this is our learning. This is a learning process. And in verses 11 and 12, it says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 
Paul says, I've learned to be content. Which tells me that, in fact, at one point in time, he did not know how to be content. And I would imagine it was probably some point pre-conversion, as scripture will imply here in a moment. It was pre-Jesus when Paul was not able to be content in any and every situation, right? Uh, You know, he had the highs and the lows. He had the ups and the downs. In fact, uh, this is, you know, one of the things that you understand is that, that Paul, if anything, knew what it meant to have plenty, right? As he was climbing the ranks of the Pharisees, he was highly regarded amongst the high priests and and all of those within that realm and in that world. Paul was viewed as a hero in the Jewish faith because of his work against the Christian view. There were so many that were killed because of Paul's actions and what he did when he was still, in fact, Saul pre-conversion, right? And so we find him, he's, he's climbing the ranks and then he meets Jesus and boom, now he's on the other end of that spectrum where he's gone from being praised for the work he's doing against the Christians to being imprisoned because of the work he's doing for the Christians. He knows both ends of the spectrum. He understands it and he says he's learned to be content. He wasn't rejoicing because of his need. He wasn't rejoicing because they met a need. He was simply rejoicing because of the opportunity for God to work. And he learned to be content in every situation. Learning to be content is a process, right? We all struggle with it still. I remember when I was five years old. This is a true story. And it's funny that I remember this. You know how you just remember the most random of things, right? This is one of those stories that is just so random that I remember vividly. Five years old, I'm at my best friend's birthday party. And for the sake of confusion, I'm going to clarify up front. My best friend's name was also Ryan. Well, it still is. His name is still Ryan. Uh, so, His name is Ryan as well. So growing up, you can imagine the confusion at all times, right? Uh, and so my last name was Dubos. His last name is Pittman. And we thought we were clever because we were DP. We were like, I'm Dr. He's Pepper, right? As a kid, those are things that you, all right? So... So here we are. Ryan is about a year and a half older than me, so he's turning seven. We're at his seventh birthday party, and I'm feeling big because I am the best friend of the birthday boy. It's a big moment in a best friend's life to celebrate the birthday of the best friend. So here he is. He's turning seven, and I'm sitting right there with him, right? He's, he's sitting right across from me. The presents are dropped right in the middle, and we're, like, making eye contact. I'm like, yes, this is great. Man, so awesome, right? Little did I, uh, you know, I I could hardly estimate how much this would affect me as I sit here watching my best friend get present after present after present after present. And I start thinking, well, I want a present too. I'm his best friend. I deserve a present. And I was nowhere near content for my friend receiving these gifts. And I remember going, my mother seeing the attitude and, and the dis, you know, disposition on my face and how I was acting in the moment and going, this isn't good. This is not how you need to be behaving. This is not how we have raised you up to this point at five years old because you're raised by then, right? Follow me. Uh, and she says, you're coming with me. So we go into Ryan's bedroom, not me. We were at his house. I didn't have a room there. We weren't that close. Just kidding. She takes me to my best friend's room and she persuades me uh, by by any means necessary to change my attitude. And that was a part of learning to be content in the moment, right? I remember coming back out and this is where you go, uh, stab in the heart. Way to go, Ryan. You were awful. 
I get back out there, my best friend, Ryan, seeing how upset I was that I wasn't getting anything, grabs one of his presents and hands it to me. Yeah, he wins. Just kidding. We are still friends to this day, by the way. We're still very close. But I remember you know, looking back at that going, man, I was nowhere near content. I couldn't be satisfied with the fact that he was receiving when I wasn't. I couldn't be satisfied with the fact that, that I was not getting all of these gifts and being able to go, whoa, I get to play with all these things. And then I come back out and he was like, hey, I don't need all of this. I'm okay. And he hands me one of his presents and I'm like, thanks. And as a five-year-old, you just go, yes, right? You totally miss the moment. But when you sit back at 34 and you reflect and you go, man, he understood contentment far better than I did uh, for sure. And probably far better than most of us do when he was seven years old. And remembering the moment that contentment is learned. We don't just pick it up. It's not just taught. In fact, the word learned that Paul uses when he says, I have learned to be content means learned by experience, as in not taught through a teacher. It's not something that somebody sat down and said, okay, now, Paul, listen, you need to learn to control how you feel on your own, apart from your circumstance, apart from having. No, 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 it's not like that wasn't the moment. Paul said, I had to walk through this. This was a learned behavior through experience. This isn't something someone sat down and taught me. I had to learn to be content. And some of that is a part of an attitude and a mindset that says, I will not allow my situation to dictate my emotions, how I feel in my happiness, in my joy. I'm not gonna allow it to get me down. I'm not gonna allow it to get me up. I'm gonna learn to be content. It's a learned behavior. The word contentment that is used means self-sufficient. It's the, the Greek word translates into self-sufficiency. And now we have to understand this about Paul is that he's not saying I'm relying on my own self-sufficiency. I'm not relying on me to be content, right? I'm not, I'm not self-sufficient on my own. But remember, Paul also said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So this is a reference to the fact that it is Christ in him. So this learned contentment, this learned self-sufficiency comes from Christ within him. We have to recognize that the third thing that we need to, to address today is this. It's Christ's strength. Christ's strength. Philippians 4.13, the verse made popular by the eye black on Tim Tebow's face. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all of these things. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. All of nature depends on hidden resources, right? Right? We look at trees and their roots are digging below the surface. We don't see the roots, but we know that they're searching for the, the, the nutrients that they need. They're searching for the water that they need in the soil deep beneath the surface. And we recognize and understand that the most important part of the tree is, in fact, the roots. You sever the roots, you kill the tree, right? That's how it works. If you cut a tree off from its roots and you set that tree aside and go, grow, be alive, it won't work. Right? The root system is the important part of that tree, right? Because it is digging deep for the hidden nutrients. It's, hitting, it's digging deep for the hidden resources that we don't see, but it knows that they are there under the surface. So they dig deep and they find it. It's the same way in our Christian walk, that our strength and dependency comes from, in fact, a hidden resource. It's something that only God can determine and see. What do we have? What are we seeking out? What are we searching for? It's not like we walk around with a gauge on our shirt on Sunday mornings that shows everybody how deep our walk is with the Lord. That would be a little bit embarrassing for a lot of us. We'd go, oh, don't, don't look this week. It's, uh, 
It's been a bad week, right? No, it's this hidden resource. It's this hidden thing that we walk through with the Lord and and, and God sees it, right? God sees where we are. See, Paul lived by this motto of I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can because of him. I can because of him. The living Bible puts it this way. I can do everything God asked me with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and power. The word strength that we find uh, there is actually means infused with. It means strength infused into. And I think it's just a cool way to understand it. So we could read the scripture and say, I can do all things because of the strength Christ infuses into me, right? It's this, this, this connected, this interwoven strength that comes from Christ and Christ alone. There's a book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. And Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. And you can read about a lot of his life and things through this book. But uh, there's one story in particular that, that stood out from this book where, where Hudson Taylor is, is talking about how, man, I'm seeking the Lord every day. I'm doing what God's asking me to do. I'm spending time with him in, in, in secret place. And, and I'm seeking, asking for the Lord to lead me. I'm doing all these things. And yet I have no joy. And yet I have no happiness, and yet I can't find anything to be thankful for. He was finding himself in the midst of that in in a struggle in in finding peace and happiness. And a friend of his wrote to him, and it said this. It said, it is not by trusting my own faithfulness, but by looking away to the faithful one was a statement that was written back to him. And again, back to the providence of God. In the right timing, he receives this letter. It's not by trusting my own faithfulness, but by looking away to the faithful one. See, this understanding of of the Christ strength in us, Christ strengthening us, is the realization that we need to look away from our own abilities, no longer trusting in who we are and what we are capable of, because I know that I am a flawed person. I recognize that on my own, I am not capable of living a life thankful and content. Apart from, apart from me stepping into Christ, now I can take on the nature of Christ and walk in that nature. I can walk in thankfulness and contentment because I shed the flesh. I shed the human nature. I shed Ryan from me and I step into Christ in me. And I say, okay, now I have the ability to walk in this because it's not me doing it. It's me walking with Christ and Christ lived, living out through me. See, Paul recognizes the fact that, that it is our, our strength only comes from Christ and Christ alone. From Christ and Christ alone. Now, I know this verse gets used for so many things, and those are all very good in, you know, uses for this passage. Understand, this is Paul's motto for life, not just for contentment. Not just for contentment, not just for being okay when he's up and when he's down. But this is Paul saying, listen, because of Christ's strength in me, I can face whatever comes my way. And that means if I have plenty or if I have little, I can be content with the providence of God. I can be content with how God is leading. I can be content with where he's taking me. Does that mean it's easy? No. I'm not even gonna pretend like it's easy. If I begin to try to explain, uh, you know, and try to say, well, this is why God's doing this and this is why God's doing this, I would be a foolish man. Because I have no no understanding apart from any revelation God gives me and apart from the word of God and the insight that the Holy Spirit may give. Apart from that, I don't know. We can't understand the providence of God, but what we can do is walk in the strength that Christ infuses into us. 
and say, okay, God, whatever I face, whatever I'm up against, whatever I go through, I can be thankful. I can be content. This, this passage is often referred to uh, within theologian circles, which are circles that I do not run in. Um, it's often referred to as Paul's thankless thanks. Because he never actually says thank you to the Philippians. He just says, I rejoice in the Lord that you gave to me, which was his way of saying thank you for being obedient and, and allowing God to, to use you to bless me in this moment when I needed it. But I, I, he was more concerned and excited for the fact that, that they were, had the moment to step into the providence of God and to be used by God and said, you know what? I didn't need it because I was going to be content either way. The fact that you gave is a blessing. I think one of the things that we often do is we overlook what we actually have to be thankful for. And a big part of being content is stepping back and saying, God, in spite of everything that I've gone through, the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows, it's okay. I have what I need. And sometimes it's a struggle to get there, but in the end, God, you're good. You're good. Because he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we need to reevaluate our heart and say, okay, God, am I content? Am I truly content? Or am I placing my happiness in the weight of what I have? Am I happiness, is my happiness placed in the weight of, of my possessions or my position or my placement? Or do I simply walk in contentment and say, God, I'm gonna trust your providence. I'm gonna trust your leading. And I'm gonna walk in that. Now, there's two things I wanna clarify as we wrap up today is this. One, the desire for things isn't necessarily bad. You cannot allow that desire to control you, right? Having is not a sin. There's no sin that says, and they had too much, so God sent them to hell. You're not gonna read that. You're not gonna find that. Um, that's, that's not scriptural. So understand, when I'm saying that trusting being content is not to say, stop wanting new things, not allowing those new things to control your emotions and where you are, or to say, okay, because I don't have, I must not be in the favor of God, right? When you get into this uh, theology that says, you know, um, if you're not blessed, you're not walking with the Lord. Well, that's, that's a very poor use of scripture. In fact, I would say it's a malicious use of scripture for somebody else's gain. Don't fall into that. Don't believe that but understanding that our contentment comes from Christ, through Christ. And that's not to say that if you don't have, you're not in the will of God. So understand that. So understand that, that, that just because you don't have and because you are, are lacking doesn't mean that. You, you, you hear what I'm saying, right? Uh, there, there is, it, understanding contentment is, is a struggle sometimes to say, okay, uh, where do I fall in this? You know what? Listen, I would say this, that, that Proverbs speaks very, very clearly that if you are diligent and you work hard, you will be blessed, Okay? that shows that it requires action on our part as well. That's, that's just plain and simple. If you work and you're diligent, God will, you know, you, your needs will be met. That doesn't mean you're gonna be wealthy. You gotta be so careful with scripture sometimes because there are people that take it and manipulate it, twist it. And then the other thing that I wanted to clarify or just to say is this, that as we trust in the Lord, he cares for us. He cares for us. 
And it got really quiet when that AC shut off. <laughs> and it's like, whew. And I know everybody else felt it too, so I felt the need to acknowledge it. But God is good. Trusting in his faithfulness. Trusting in his faithfulness. And learning to be content with wherever he has us. Man, I, again, I say this all the time. I wish I knew the end result. I wish I knew where we could fast forward, step out and say, okay, God, where are you putting us in the end? And he goes, oh, isn't that great? I wish I could tell you. Enjoy the ride. That's difficult. Especially for, for people that like to plan things out. Yeah. You go, uh, how, what are the steps and how are we getting there? And God says, oh, this is really great. We're going to go one step at a time, and I'll let you know when we get there. Oh, this is the next step. Great, great. And the next one? Why don't you hang on a couple years, and we'll reveal that then. Fantastic. Being content in the process. Content in the process. One of the things my dad always says is, God is a God of process. And being willing to trust the process is sometimes the hardest part. Let me pray over you. Father, I ask God that you come and that you just allow your spirit to begin to speak to our hearts. God, let there just be a, a sense and awareness of contentment. God, just a heart that says, I am okay wherever the situation leads me, wherever God has me in the moment. And Lord, I can trust in you, in your providence. I can trust in your leading. I can trust in who you are. And I can believe and know, God, that, that your word says that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, God, I, I step into that trust. Because from there, God, I can learn to be content. Whether I have plenty or whether I'm lacking, Lord, whether I'm in need, whether I'm, I'm, I'm hungry or, Lord, whether I'm well-fed and all my needs are met. God, whatever the situation is, I know that through your strength in you, God, in Christ, I can weather the storm. I can face the challenges. I can meet it headfirst and say, you know what? This around me will not shake who I am. This around me will not cause me to waver left or right, but my strength in Christ will allow me to be sustained and to be content through it all. Lord, I know that we are not gonna walk out of here and immediately have developed contentment. Paul says it is a learned behavior. It is a learned behavior. It is something that we have to endure and walk through and challenge ourselves and say, you know what? I'm not gonna allow this situation. I'm not gonna allow this circumstance to affect me. I'm not gonna allow where I am to affect me, but I'm simply gonna be steadfast in who Jesus says I am. I'm gonna be steadfast in the strength that he gives us. And I'm gonna walk in that and say, Lord, I can be content because of your strength in me. Whatever you put me up against, wherever I walk, whatever I end up experiencing and walking through, God, I have the strength to face it head on because of Christ in me, because of the strength that you give me. God, I just pray that throughout this week, Lord, that our hearts are challenged to be content. Lord, and to be thankful for what we do have, to be thankful for where we are, to be thankful for what we're up against, to be thankful for even the challenges we face. To say, you know what, God? I, I may be walking through a challenge, but I know that you're using this to perfect something in me. 
And ultimately, you have a greater destination and a greater end result than we could ever imagine. And we don't understand every step along the way, but we know, God, that we can trust you through it all. We can trust you through it all. We praise you for it, God. We give you glory and we give you honor for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray over every person here. I ask, God, that your Holy Spirit will just rest on them. Anoint them, oh God, for this week. Lord, I pray that throughout this week, Lord, as, as, as they walk through things to find contentment in all situations, all circumstances, whatever place you put them in, whatever needs they have, or whatever abundance they have, God, I pray that they are faithful in obedience to you. God, we don't understand your providence. We don't understand your wisdom. And we never will on this side of eternity. But God, one day we'll see it. Lord, let us trust it now. Let us trust it in this moment. We thank you for it, God. We thank you for it. So, Lord, I pray that your hand will be on every person here. God, I pray that as they go this week, that you give them divine opportunities, divine appointments, Lord, to be able to share your, your love, to share, to share your, your grace, your forgiveness. God, that we can have opportunities to reach the lost outside of our church. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, go with us. Bless us, anoint us, and use us this week. We thank you for it. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at infogracehill.cc. At